Hello, everyone. Hope you had a wonderful and satisfying Thanksgiving holiday with family and friends. We say farewell to November and happy Hanukkah a little early this year. I also say satisfying about Thanksgiving because in my mind, it is without question the one holiday meal that I look most forward to every year. Love the turkey, love the mashed potatoes, macaroni and cheese, whatever you like, stuffing, whatever it is you like, throw it out there. It is the best eating holiday for my money. My name is Brian DeNovellis. Welcome, everybody. We're not here to talk about food. We're here to talk about college basketball. It is episode 14, episode 14 of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Feast week for college hoops. More like Fright Fest for Rutgers. It was bad enough that Rutgers lost to DePaul in the Dave Gavitt games. DePaul, oh, by the way, have you noticed? They are the lone undefeated team left in the Big East. DePaul. So listen, regardless of their competition, they are undefeated. So that does count for something. That you could accept in some ways, but then it just got far worse for Rutgers. Far worse when they lost at home to Lafayette on a three-pointer in the final seconds. And if that weren't bad enough, the Scarlet Knights blew a 15-point lead to UMass in the final nine minutes and lost on another buzzer beater. This one literally at the buzzer by Noah Fernandez, a name Rutgers fans won't soon forget. After Paul Mulcahy had put the Scarlet Knights ahead with five seconds left. So this is where I want to begin the show. Before we get to Seton Hall, before we get to the big win by Monmouth over Cincinnati, let's start with Rutgers. And who better to talk Rutgers basketball than a guy I go way back with, a Seton Hall guy like myself, but a man who is the senior college basketball beat writer in New Jersey, Mr. Hoops Haven himself, Jerry Carino. Jerry, good to talk to you, my friend. You know, two things. One is money got on Thanksgiving for the <laughs> Carino family. Two, the turkey was rotten for the Scarlet Knights. It was rotten. I am been doing this 20 years. I have never been as surprised by a team start to the season, a local team, as I am with how Rutgers has started this season. Jerry left a foul taste in our mouth, huh? I mean, really shocking. And, you know, losing in this gut manner, all manner of gut-wrenching ways, but that happens in basketball. But losing to teams they had they have no business losing to, and it's, it's really shocking. The, minute, uh, the, uh, the Massachusetts game, defense disappeared. Uh, Lafayette loss, offense doesn't show up. It's, it's something different every game. DePaul crushed on the boards. So like Rutgers is a lot of, they have a lot of fires to put out. Now I know it's early and a long season, but with where they want to go, you got to put those fires out now or you ain't going anywhere. I, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I guess the only thing we can really compare it to was the Eddie Griffin year at Seton Hall, where I think the Pirates were like preseason number seven something outrageous and then obviously the they didn't even they struggled to make the nit that year that was a function of all these freshmen who were highly rated though who had never played college basketball you know Rutgers' key players are veterans which is really why this is just so incredibly surprising okay so jerry here's the question then right with so many veterans 
back, especially the leaders, right? Especially Ron Harper Jr. and Geo Baker coming back for his fifth year. It begins and end with, ends with them. But, you know, Caleb McConnell and Paul Mulcahy looking to take more of that leadership role. Jerry, how, why? I mean, how can you explain a three and three start uh, for a team that expected to probably be undefeated at this point? So part of it is, you know, Geo Baker's hurt. Uh, if he doesn't hurt his hamstring, you know, they may well have beaten Lafayette. They probably would have beaten UMass. They would have been instead of three and three, five and one, but they still were not playing well. They were not playing well, even with him uh, healthy. They lost to DePaul with him, which was a surprise. So it's, that's part of it. But I think a big part of it is, you know, guys don't have a full grasp of their roles yet. And I, you know, we, and I am starting with me, you know, underestimated how easily they'd be able to replace three players who left, three key players in their rotation, uh, Miles Johnson, uh, Montez Mathis, and Jacob Young, who are all playing at different high majors right now. And they transferred out. And so, you know, it's you want to get the program to a point where it's next man up, right? And we've seen that a lot over the years at Seton Hall, especially. All these good classes have left, and they've been still been good. We thought Rutgers would be ready to do that. I think they thought that, and it didn't happen. So, there seems to be like a, a misunderstanding, I guess, of of the roles of who they want to be, of what their identity is. Uh, these are things that can sort themselves out over the course of the season. But I mean, really not what you would expect from a veteran group, super tight offensively, not not pushing the ball enough, taking too many threes and defensively just slow to rotate and help and recover, um, not rebounding well and, and not defending the post well at all things that you're very surprised about from a Steve Peichel team. It always begins and ends with defense with Steve Peichel. I mean, he's probably much more comfortable in a 54-50 game than certainly some of the games we've been seeing, like the high-scoring UMass game. So how much do they miss Miles Johnson? He was, listen, you cannot measure how much he meant defensively uh, guarding every big man in the country and, and holding his own against them. We knew that they would miss toughness with rebounding and defense with him. Um, but even the others, like you said, Montez Mathis doing well at St. John's and Jacob Young obviously doing his thing at Oregon. Do, do they really miss their shot-making ability and their, their leadership that much as well? The biggest thing that they're missing, Rutgers, is that those three players got Rutgers a lot of easy baskets which I think maybe covers up the deficiencies in this group with the shooting. Mm. Uh, a lot of that started on the defensive end, right? There was a lot, a lot of deflections, steals. Uh, Mathis and Young were good on-ball defenders. They were in the passing lanes a lot. But Johnson especially, you know, he blocked a lot of shots. He grabbed a lot of rebounds, and he was a very good outlet passer. You know, So he, he got the break started a lot with a, with a rebound or a deflection or a steal and would immediately know what to do with it, how to get it up court, who to throw it to, that would start a fast break that would end in points for Rutgers. And they're just not getting that now. For as, for as athletic and as much upside as Cliff Omarui has, he doesn't have that sense for the game. Maybe it'll come. You know, Miles maybe didn't at his age. He doesn't have that sense for the game. He's not, he's not blocking shots and keeping them in bounds. He's not throwing the outlet passes. Uh, he's not altering a lot of shots. So I do think a lot of this starts with their post defense where maybe miles covered up a lot of mistakes for people and certainly got a lot of with the blocks and the rebounds and the outlet passes got a lot of easy buckets. And the same can be said for the other 
guards who they lost. This team now is having trouble getting easy buckets, and they're a poor shooting team, which means uh, they're having trouble getting any buckets. Very and poor. that's where we're at. You know, 24% from three. Uh, I looked at the numbers. 27 out of 112 attempts. And the, they keep shooting these thinking that they're going to go in. Seton Hall has had the same problems uh, similarly lately. You know, but even they're not getting anything even at the free throw line where they're shooting under 70%. I don't care what it takes. They have to be able to make shots, Jerry. And yeah. I, don't, I don't care if it's, you know, getting easy baskets, like you said, in transition or just stop shooting threes. If you're a better mid-range shooter, then shoot those. But I think in this day of it, day and age in college basketball, everyone's enamored in the threes and it's, it's easier said than done. Yeah. They had the right idea against UMass. They, they were attacking the rim a lot. They were pushing the ball, a lot of early offense, one, two, quick, decisive passes and attack the rim. And they scored a lot of points. The problem was they didn't defend. Right. Their defense totally melted down. So this is a game, this is a team that just can't put it all together, right? They finally did the right things on offense to help to help score with the personnel they have. And then they don't defend at all. And they get lit up and they lose on a three-point buzzer beater when they don't stop the ball. So there's a, there's just a lot of leaks being sprung. You know, this is a mindset right now. L learning, knowing how to win close games, how to win games, is a mindset a lot. It's not just bounces of the ball. This team's mindset isn't there. So it falls on Pykel and the team's veterans to fix that before it's too late. All right. Well, listen, as Yogi Berra once said, it gets late early around here, Jerry. And and I'm not trying to push the panic button, okay? I'm going to take a page out of Joe Biden, our president's book, all right? Don't panic about the pandemic. Don't panic about Rutgers' season. However, this four-game stretch beginning tonight against Clemson at home. Then they're at Illinois, who, if they were ranking top 30 teams, they would be number 26 in the country in the AP poll. Then it's home to number two, Purdue, and then at number 25, Seton Hall. Wow. You can't look at the entire picture there, Jerry, but as a fan, it's hard not to look at that and say, could our season be over before Christmas? Right. If they don't get it in gear, then they're going to be their NCAA tournament hopes are going to be finished 10 days before Christmas, which is for a team like this should not be the case. So there's a lot of pressure on them these next two weeks. All right. Listen, two and two, something to build off of. All right. I, I think Rutgers fans would sign up for that sure. right now. Split the next four. Three and one would be a miracle the way they're playing. No worse than two and two. And you have something to build off of. OK, it starts with winning one game. And, you know, out of all these games, Clemson is the most winnable game. So we'll see what happens. OK. All right. Good one there. Now, let's talk about Seton Hall. We're talking with Jerry Carino from uh, Asbury Park Press, Gannett Newspapers, New Jersey, Coops Haven, you name it. He does it. Jerry, Seton Hall has uh, maybe I'm not going to say they've exceeded expectations, but that win over Michigan at Michigan is carrying so much weight right now that we saw them, even though they lost to Ohio State in the Fort Myers tip-off and came back and beat, you know, an average at best California team, it carried so much weight that they remained in the top 25. Now, they're going to have to follow it up. The schedule coming up, you know, after a couple of, uh, you know, buy games this week, gimme games goes Texas and Rutgers. But my point is, is that that win over Michigan is going to, you know, hold some weight for a long time. It's what my buddy JP Pelsman likes to call a triple word score. <laughs> Taking a page out of the Scrabble book. You got 
you have a non-conference win, you have a road win, and you have a, a win over a highly ranked team. That's three three shots in one that's going to hold up in March. So was Michigan overrated? Probably. It looks like they were, right? They then got waxed right. by Arizona. They're still Michigan. They're still going to be very good. Uh, and, you know, for Seton Hall to go there and win, in addition to what it meant to everybody in the fan base and a, a program alums, it goes without saying after what happened in 1989, what a deeply meaningful win that was. Sure. It's, a, it's just a win that's going to show you this team's potential, and it's going to count when they're adding up their resume in a few months. All right. They, uh, they've lost Miles Kale for a couple of games, and I think it's hurt them with leadership. I think it's hurt them on the offensive end, you know, with his scrappiness and his ability to, you know, take the pressure off the other players. And it's certainly hurt them on the defensive end. But the good news is, is that they were able to, to win while some high majors have struggled against some low mid majors like, like uh, St. John's has. The bottom line is Seton Hall is winning. I don't know if Seton Hall fans are happy with the way they're winning. You know, they continue to not shoot well from three. Um, they're not defending like they were early in the year against fairly Dickinson and Yale with that tenacity. I think uh, teams are getting far too many easy looks. Bethune Cookman led Seton Hall at the half by one before they ratcheted up the defense. And we're seeing Kevin Willard mix and match and put a player like Jahari Long, who let's face it, is not one of the top five, six, seven, or even eight, nine players on his team, but yet he's starting. So there's a lot to chew on there, Jerry. But my point is, is I think it's early and we're still trying to find out what this Seton Hall team is made of and how all the parts fit together is my point. Let's start with a new appreciation for Miles Kale, okay? Someone who has been taken for granted by a lot of people who cover the team and who, fans who watch the game and watch the team. The, the perimeter defense has stunk since Miles Kale got hurt. Stunk. It stunk against Ohio State. It was not great against Cal, and they got lucky to beat Cal because Cal missed up. Cal, one of Cal's sharpshooters missed a wide-open triple. Uh. Boy, was that wide open. <laughs> wide open triple. And then it stunk against Bethune Cookman, which, you know, shot like Gonzaga against them. Mm -hmm. uh, so it stinks because you lost the team's best perimeter defender. And when you take that puzzle piece out, it's a big loss. And everyone has to then step up and take, you know, whereas Miles Kale will get the best shooter, with that would be his draw. Someone else has to do that. And then someone else, has, it's, a, it's a domino effect. And so... It doesn't look like Seton Hall has a team of really good perimeter defenders uh, with Kale out. So I think one, a couple of reasons why you're seeing Jahari Long. Kevin's trying to reward him for making his way back from a, a really tough knee injury when he could have shut it down and decided to play through it, okay? I think other players might have decided to shut it down, but Long wants to play. Uh, two is Kevin's trying to cultivate him give him some confidence because they might need him in the defensive situation later this season. If there's foul trouble, if they need a defensive stopper on the perimeter, they might have to call on, on uh, Jahari long. So Kevin's trying to get him some minutes and some confidence. Now it makes sense. I also think Kevin's trying to send a message to his other guards about not defending the perimeter. Right. Right. And, and so there's a lot of things going on there. So I, you know, people complain, but there's, there's alter, there's, there's ulterior motives to what Kevin's doing with this. And uh, it hasn't backfired. I mean, they've, you know, he's, he's done his bit long and they've, they've won the two games he started, but there's definitely more than just um, 
him think, thinking Jahari Long is a starter. There is a lot going on. So, but the main, my main takeaway from Seton Hall right now is you, they miss Kale more than you thought. Right. Seton Hall's other guards are not good defenders aside from Long. Uh, they've been exposed a little bit. And they do shoot too many threes. Um, that's something that I think could change as some of these big guys get more comfortable, like Alexis Yetna gets more comfortable playing inside. So that could change. I would love to see that you, you just hit upon something there, right? Trey Jackson can go inside out. I think he's better driving to the hoop and maybe, you know, if he can find a more consistent three point shot, he'll be, he'll be a complete player, but Yetna is the player that if anybody can post up down low um, and create his own shot down low, that's the guy. So maybe moving forward, starting with the Wagner game, that's something that we'll see a little bit more from Yetna. And yes, let him shoot the occasional three, but work inside out with him. I would love to see that. Here's the dynamic that every coach struggles with, and that you know all these players want to make the NBA, and the yeah. only way that the only way they're making the NBA anybody anymore is by shooting threes. You don't if you can't hit a jump shot, you can't play in the NBA. I don't care how big you are, uh, and so all these guys are, want to shoot threes so they can make the NBA, right? But it's not what's good for the team. Like your team needs their big guys inside. It's nice to have a guy who can hit a three. Uh, and Kevin gives these guys a green light, I think, as a, sure. a sort of a halfway measure. Look, I want to help you with your career. Um, and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a guy who will give you latitude as a, as a, as a coach. That's part of his selling point. But at some point, these big guys got to play inside. So Seton Hall has good, dynamic, talented, big, big guys, starting with Yetna. And yeah, you'd like maybe this is a game. This how well he played, you know, fourteen points, thirteen boards against Bethune Cookman. Maybe that's a game that gets him rolling inside. And Kevin mentioned that afterwards. You need your bigs inside, okay? So it's nice that Seton Hall has versatility. But as the competition ratchets up, those guys got to be. They can't just have Ike Obiadjus inside banging with everybody. They need all all four of those bigs to do it. So that was a good step in that direction. They do, and and I, I love Jared Roden, but he cannot be your leading rebounder. Okay, he's a very good rebounder who can average six, seven rebounds a game. No problem just because of his hustle. But you need someone else in there. You need some of these bigs to, you know, get in the eight, nine rebound category. And, and Aletna, uh, Yetna is the guy. Um, okay, so we touched upon Seton Hall. I think it'll be interesting to see the, the dynamic of, of the guards and, and how they continue to develop. One more thing I want to talk about them before moving on to Monmouth is Kaderi Richmond. Uh, this is a player who Seton Hall fans have seen glimpses of, all right? We're happy that Aiken is playing. Aiken is healthy. We can see the type of player that he is and the dynamic. I think you live and die with Aiken taking some shots uh, when he shouldn't because eventually he'll make them. But I don't think that Kaderi Richmond has really found his his groove with this team. You know, can he slash? Can he get to the hoop? Can he facilitate? We've seen glimpses of it, but I think he's still trying to figure out how he fits in and where he fits in with Willard's system. Is that fair? Yeah, he, he hasn't played well. I mean, let's just not sugarcoat it. He okay. hasn't played well. I think part of the reason he hasn't played well is because he didn't have a summer. You know, Kevin Kevin does his best work in the summer with individual instruction. It's what he's known for. His player development is something he got from Rick Pitino, who's probably maybe the best all-time ever at that in that coaching discipline. And Kazari uh, didn't play in the summer. You know, he had injuries, he had illnesses, and I don't think he played at all. And so, you know, he basically just started teeing it up in September. 
How can you not? They're a baller. How can you not play? I don't know. I don't know all the in, all the dynamics of it, but he was he was hurt and sick, is my understanding. Okay. At various times, whatever he missed the whole summer, whatever the reason was, he missed pretty much the whole summer of development. And you, what you're seeing is someone who hasn't Kevin hasn't had a chance to really work with him, and he hasn't really he didn't really learn this system or gain a comfortability level with the personnel. So he's way behind, you know. It shows, and he hasn't defended well. No, um, he hasn't found his groove offensively at all, and he obviously is a gifted passer, but but there's not enough facilitating going on from him no. as much as they would like. So, so look, Kevin is is excellent with his guards. He has a great track record of developing league guards, and they're going to have to give it some time. But you know, so far it hasn't been there. Luckily for Seton Hall, they have Bryce Aiken, who who is now fully steeped in the program after a rough year last year and can do the things they need running an offense. No question. The assist level, I think we'll see that start to get up for Seton Hall. Uh, last question on the Pirates, gut feeling. Will, will we see Brandon Weston this season play for the Pirates? Yes. Yes, I'm pretty, I have a pretty strong feeling that he's going to play. I just don't think red shirting is a thing anymore, Dino. I, I don't... You know, every this is a it's a new world without the sit out years and everybody's fast tracking. Um, I think he wants to play. I think he's close to playing. You know, he looks good in warm ups. Uh, I think he, he puts a uniform on sometime in the next couple of weeks. Yes, I do. OK, and if he does, <laughs> Jerry, that adds a 10th, 11th piece to this Seton Hall Pirate puzzle. And what's nice, and what's nice, Dino, for that is he gets to he gets to find his place without a lot of pressure on him. Like they don't need a lot from him. So he'll get to, he'll get to get into a groove without being in, on the spot, you know, and that's really the ideal situation for a freshman. Okay. Uh, the ideal place for Shavar Reynolds is clearly Monmouth. <laughs> I mean, you talk about Seton Hall missing his perimeter defense and his heart and his hustle. Uh, they're missing that from their guards on the defensive end, but, Seton Hall's loss is Monmouth's gain, Jerry. And this program might be ready to finally overtake Iona in the MAC after that win against Cincinnati last week. Talk about Feast Week, Jerry. That was one of the biggest wins in Monmouth program history, no doubt. Yeah, no question. Reynolds is a fascinating story, right? We all know his, his rise from unrecruited walk on at a Manchester Township High to a contributor to two Seton Hall. You know, NCAA tournament teams, a Big East championship team. Shavar Reynolds was it was a good rotational Big East player. He helped Seton Hall as a member of their rotation do really well. Uh, but for him to be in a starting lead guard, starring role, the Mac is perfect for him. It's a great fit, and he's really elevated that program. I mean, they have other good players. Mammoth has several talented guys and veteran guys, uh, but he is that like won't back down. I've seen it all. I'm not gonna get rattled in any circumstance. He can hit his shot, he can defend. Uh, he's just, you know, to, just a tremendous start to the season. And that his moxie, you know, and George Pappas too. I mean, George Pappas is a guy who, remember, Kansas is dribbling out the clock and Allen Fieldhouse on them. Yes. He steals the ball and goes and dunks it. <laughs> and that, that takes balls, man. That takes moxie. So. When you combine Reynolds' moxie with Pavis's moxie, that's one tough backcourt. 
And so Mammoth is good. It's fun because the Mac now is, okay, Iona is really good. And they got Rick Patino and they, they have players and they have good bigs and they have a, you know, enormous win against Alabama. Right. And they're good, but it's not, they're not just going to walk to the title. You know, the Mac's good. Mammoth's really good. This is the best team Mammoth's had since the Justin Robinson era. And that team was very dependent on Robinson and maybe one or two other players. This Mammoth team is good as a good, solid five. Uh, you know, the big guy is really good. Uh, Miller. And uh, McCrary is good, so I mean he he just lit up Cincinnati. So th- they have they have options. This is a deeper, more balanced team, and so they could really give Iona a run. And St. Peter's is good. Right. I mean St. Peter's is tough. They're deep. They're experienced and well coached by our friend Shaheen Holloway. And and Fairfield is good. Seasoned has been in big games and also a very good coach. Jay Young, former Rutgers right hand man. So. I see the top of the Mac being as good as it's been that I can ever remember, Dino. Excellent point. Maybe since uh, Kevin Willard and and uh, Ed Cooley were, were roaming the sidelines for Iona and Fairfield. Good point. All right. Let's turn our attention toward uh, the Big East teams in the tri-state area, St. John's and UConn. Let's start with St. John's. This is a team that they're playing with fire. Okay. They almost lost to St. Francis of Brooklyn. They, they, got more than they can handle from NJIT, needed overtime to beat them. I know there's a lot of moving parts here, but something has been missing. Maybe they've taken teams for granted, but um, what's going on in St. John's with your opinion? Well, I'm, I'm disappointed in what I've seen from St. John's. I, I ranked them in the preseason top 25. I thought with two big-time players and really, really special players and, and a, some supporting cast with talent that they would be better than this. Um, they did... They did have a lot of roster turnover aside from their two featured players, uh, Julian Champagne and Pasha Alexander. So there is some adjustment period there, but I just don't like, I don't like how undisciplined St. John's has has been, how poorly they've closed out these games. You know, you can, you can play up-tempo, you know, 94 feet, uh, run and push without, and you can be disciplined at the same time. And St. John's hasn't shown me that yet. So um, the, the execution at the end of these games has been poor. They've fallen asleep for long stretches against inferior opponents. So I think they're really capable. And they haven't, lo- they haven't taken on a bad loss yet. So there's no – their resume's fine. Yes. But, but they, they, there's mo- a lot more in this team than they've shown so far. So it's November, you know, early December. Let's see it from them, but let's start seeing it soon. Well, they have a huge test against Kansas coming up, and that's something that I think uh, would certainly, you know, give them a signature win in December uh, if they could ever pull off that win. Yeah, and, uh, they, and they played down to their opponents, but they also played well at Indiana. They played a good game for the most part. They did fall into a hole there. Uh, so, yeah, they're going to play. They'll, they'll play Kansas well, I have no doubt. The question is, can they do that? Can they, can they bring it? You know, game in, game out when you get into the Big East grind, which you have to. And I don't, that's an open question right now. And that game's going to be played at the new arena in uh, Belmont, New York, right? Or Elmont, New York. Yeah, that's right. That's fun. Yeah, good. That should be, I mean, that's a definitely a most watch event. No question. Um, UConn's a team that, that, that I can't say enough good things about UConn. I think that they're still working out some of the, uh, the moving parts. I mean, they, they struggled a little bit against VCU, three games in three days. I think can can wear down a lot of teams. Um, lost to a good Michigan State team, beat a very good Auburn team in what was Jerry the, the best college basketball game of the season so far. Did you see State any game. of that game? Oh, of course, 
From I watched I watched the end of regulation in both overtimes. I mean, the shot making one three after another in that game was was spectacular. You got you get thirty points out of Adama Sinogo, who, for my money, is by the end of the year he's going to be the best big man in the Big East, more, better than Nate Watson. Um, you know, R.J. Cole. Uh, the toughness that this kid shows, the ability to get in the lane, make shots, um, make threes. You talk about facilitating. And then they're, they're fifth year, they're graduate seniors. Tyler Polly, Isaiah Whaley, um, with, with what they bring, you know, on any, given, on any given game, one of them can step up. Um, Gaffney, you know, it's their, it, as good as their recruiting classes have been, uh, you know, this year and, and next year, you know, top 20, top 10 recruiting classes. It's the veterans that Danny Hurley's leaning on. You know, what's funny is like you, you go to stores and it seems like the opposite end of the world. Right. <laughs> but yet, yet this, this team is really New Jersey. I mean, they, you know, RJ Cole, St. Anthony's, uh, Adama Sonogo's Patrick School, Dan Hurley, of course, you know, St. Anthony's, Seton Hall, uh, Jersey guy through and through. And they play, they play with that Jersey toughness, you know? Yeah. So, but here's the thing about UConn that impresses me, Dino, is that like, you knew UConn was going to rebound and be tough and defend. You knew that. What you didn't know for sure this year is could they score the ball? Could they execute in half court without, without book night, right? Cause he, they lean on him so heavily last year. He's off to the NBA. Uh, and they've shown that they've shown that they've been able to do that. Other guys have stepped up and, and taken turns. It's not just one guy. So that makes them, I think, really dangerous. You know, they can score, and it's different guys who can beat you in a late-game set. Uh, so I, UConn, I thought they'd be, you know, like around 25th, maybe a little outside the top 25, maybe just inside it. They look better than that. They're a team that looks like a second-weekend Sweet 16 team so far. And they're going to be tested. Uh, they have a game coming up against St. Bonaventure next week uh, at, the, at the Prudential Center, Jerry. Uh, will you be covering that game or no? No, no, no. I I got a, so many games on my docket. Uh, it is a good game, though. I mean, that's a fun game. Absolutely. You know, that's, a good, that's two good teams playing, two well-coached teams, two tough teams. So I don't know. Maybe I should go up there, but I have to look at the calendar. What What is the date? Uh, it's Saturday, whatever the Saturday is, December 11th. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so I'm, I'm taking my father to the Army-Navy game the first time. There you go. Uh, in the Meadowlands. And uh, so, yeah, I, but it is a great game. And I, you know, it's for Jersey hoop heads, it's a treat. It'll be a treat to watch. There's going to be some floor burns and bruises at the end of that game. No question. No question. Hey, Jerry, you do have a life outside of college basketball. It's hard to believe. A small, a small, <laughs> one. A small one. I've been wanting You're to take my dad's a Navy veteran. I've been wanting to take him. It's a bucket list thing. And I got tickets and I, I really can't wait. It's an experience uh, just to see the the midshipmen and the cadets. Uh, it's an experience, Jerry. So, so just take it all in and enjoy it. Jerry Carino, you are awesome. I can't thank you enough for joining us and, and talking hoops across the tri-state. Uh, keep up the good work and I will, I will see you at uh, games very soon. Absolutely. Enjoying every second of it. This is our time of year, Dino. It is. And uh, can't get enough of it in person at the rock, at the rack. I, I, I still say the rack Jersey Mike's arena, uh, it's all good stuff. Jerry, thank you so much. And thank you for listening to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Uh, we will see you next week when we'll have another episode and talk more Seton Hall, Rutgers, St. John's, UConn, Monmouth, St. Peter's, whoever's out there. 
uh, making news in the tri-state and college basketball. We will have it for you right here. My name is Brian Dean Thanks for listening. So long.